When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in my home studio recording far, far away from my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hey, Matt. Um, I just want to let everyone know, yes, it finally happened. I spilled iced coffee on my unhappy hour sweatshirt, so it's officially broken in. You know, a part of the routine, a part of the rotation. Yeah. And I love it so much. I've been wearing it enough to spill iced coffee all over it. And you know what? It came out immediately. So great job, merch. <laughs> Blotted that bad boy. There's no sign. No sign it was ever right. spilled. Not to uh, turn this into a commercial, but I will say I am. A, a fan of clothes that w- when you wear them even more, they get better. Um, unlike yeah. certain brands, I won't name names, but H&M, <laughs> where it's like you wear it once and you basically, you might as well turn it into mm-hmm. a rag because that that thing is yeah. disintegrating. But naturally, I fell asleep in my unhappy hour shirt without changing out of it <laughs> and woke up and it was even softer and comfier. And I'm wearing my hat right now because I'm violently hungover. <laughs> and no, I didn't shower yet today. Probably won't. Uh, my hair is not done. Yeah, I have this. I did my live show last night. Thank you to everybody who came. You won't be able to see this, but I drank this bottle of tequila almost in its entirety. Oh, no. Oh, no. That is uh, not It is good. a small bottle of tequila. It's like the size of a it's beer bottle. It's still a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I did drink a fair amount of it. And it's like g- good tequila. So I was like not, I didn't feel it that much in the in the thick of it. But right. then the, in the morning I was like, okay, yeah. And now we are recording in the afternoon and I'm still, my body is poisoned. And just to turn this into a full commercial, I mean, this is the beauty of Unhappy Hour merch. You're not just wearing it to show your pride for the show. You're wearing it in in real life, in the real moments that matter the most, a.k.a. when you're hungover, when you fall asleep in your clothes, and when you spill iced coffee all over yourself. There really couldn't be three more Unhappy Hour things to have happened and to have done (laughs) in our Unhappy Hour merch. (laughs) You are not just repping the show. You are masking the very real problems of your life. (laughs) which is isn't that what unhappy hour merch is all about i think so and to get that where do you go matt unhappyhourshop.com fantastic love it anyway what's happening on today's episode um we're gonna kick things off as always with worst things first where i chat about the stupidest most ridiculous worst news of the week after that we're diving deep into notifications the dings the bells the whistles all of these notifications that pop up on my phone and drive me absolutely insane. And I will say this deep dive was very real, inspired today when I got a notification from CVS out of the blue. I don't even know what it said, but why are they contacting me? (laughs) I didn't even open it. I was just enraged that they had the audacity to send me a pop-up notification. And finally, we have the amazing writer, Rachel Handler, on the pod. Rachel writes for New York Magazine about everything from high school musical conspiracy theories to literal pasta investigations. Okay, she blew the lid off of a Bucatini shortage that plagued us in the early days of the actual plague. <laughs> so we talk about all that and so much more. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's start the show. 
horse things first. Let's talk about the worst news of the week. First, the owner of a Massachusetts pizza parlor is under arrest after allegedly lying about the number of employees that he had in order to get hundreds of thousands of dollars in federal coronavirus relief money. Good, good, good. And then using that money to buy and stock an alpaca farm in Vermont. Shiro, Shiro. <laughs> Honestly, I was hoping it was a Shiro because this person's name is Dana. Mm. Turns out in the story, he is identified as a man. Bummer. I was fully prepared for a girl <laughs> boss, but we'll accept it. Honestly, the dream. Uh, stealing money to open up alpaca farm in Vermont. That is my future. That is what I aspire to. I, I mean, I'm like happy for him to use my tax dollars in this way. Yeah. I should be able to, to bookmark or earmark my tax dollars to say, I want to support this alpaca farm. Yes. So this guy is a 57-year-old guy. He owned the Rasta Pasta Pizzeria. Okay. <laughs> Questionable. <laughs> but also into it? In Beverly, Massachusetts. So Really confused. Just like, what is the intersection of identities you are trying to have here? Rasta pasta, Rasta pasta, Rasta pasta pizzeria. pizzeria. Clearly, this man is just like a stoner king. <laughs> He's like, you know what? I'm going to open up a pizza shop that's got pasta and pizza right in the same name. And if that doesn't work out, fuck it. I'll steal some money and open up an alpaca farm. <laughs> cuddle with them oh yes so he's this 57 year old guy in april of last year right at the beginning of the pandemic he applies for a paycheck protection loan but allegedly he says that the pizza shop had almost 50 employees which is impossible there's no pizza shop in america that has 50 employees okay <laughs> i don't care there's there's i'm sure pizza shops in Times square that do not have 50 employees yeah. they have two at best um what about california pizza kitchen i literally not even <laughs> i'm fully convinced it is impossible for any pizza shop in america to have over 10 employees. Actual records showed that he had fewer than 10 employees, mm, mm. which is the appropriate amount of employees for a pizza shop. <laughs> so he inflated his numbers by uh, five times the amount, allegedly in an effort to get more money. So uh, he gets this loan for $660,000. Okay? Damn. I hope everyone hears this. $660,000, nearly three-fourths of a million dollars. <laughs> That's just an insane amount. I'm just like, this is insane that we gave out this money in a loan. Yeah, I mean, I truly don't understand every time that the news is like, oh, this package trillion, billion. Like, I just, I can't comprehend that amount of money. I don't understand where it comes from, where it's stored, how it's used. No, I, it no, no, It does no. feel like money grows on trees. So why not give this man $660,000 to open an alpaca farm, you know? Well, you know who you should ask about money? Also this guy, because it turns out he also used the money to buy weekly airtime for a cryptocurrency-themed radio show that he hosts. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Yeah. So basically, he gets this $660,000, immediately sells the pizza shop, and then uses that money to purchase and upgrade this farm in Vermont. Then he goes out, buys a bunch of alpacas, buys a couple of cars, buys some airtime for his cryptocurrency show. Living the life. Truly. Except now he's been charged with fraud and <laughs> uh, conspiracy and all of that fun stuff. And he faces up to 40 years in prison <gasps> and $750,000 in fines. Oh, damn. Not great for him. No. Does that mean that we should probably adopt those alpacas? I don't know what's going to happen to them. I guess the government owns them now. <laughs> They're government-owned alpacas. And therefore, because of our tax dollars, we, we own, them. own them. Next! Firefighters responded to a call at a home in Santa Barbara County, California, after 1,000 small birds got trapped in a house's chimney. 
That is far too many birds. I don't care what their size is. That is far too many. Yeah, all I'm hearing is that these people got money. Okay, <laughs> imagine living anywhere where a thousand birds can comfortably fit alongside you and your family. <laughs> Like, yeah, I sure it'd be a problem, but like, okay, luxurious. <laughs> yeah, that chimney is probably the size of my entire apartment. Exactly. A thousand, if a thousand birds were in my apartment, I wouldn't be able to move. <laughs> I mean, I would love that, honestly. I, I, I do feel like I am like one mental break away from becoming the pigeon lady from Home Alone, but still, I'm just saying, it sounds like you got money to deal with this problem. Okay. The birds which were identified as swifts. Okay, Taylor, am I right? (laughs) They were stuck in the chimney on a Sunday night, the Lord's Day, and firefighters and county animal services decided, okay, let's just leave them alone. (laughs) Maybe they'll fly up and out of the flu by themselves. Basically, picture this. Picture it. Okay, it's a chimney in this big ass house. It's got that like grill on the on the face of it. So, that, right. uh, you know, a, a young child, perhaps a young, uh, you know, a young up and coming artist like myself <laughs> couldn't stick their hands directly into the open flame. Right, right, right. Also, so that Santa can't just waltz right in at any time. Yeah. Also a thousand birds. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this family woke up and walked over and they were like, holy shit, behind our grill is a, a, a shitload of what appears to be birds or bats. They weren't sure. So they called the people They came over. They were like, OK, they're not getting inside the house, so we might as well just see if they'll fly out on their own. They did not. Um, that was a horrible <laughs> idea. It didn't work. They showed up the next morning. They were still trapped at the base of the fireplace. So instead, Animal Services designed a chute system. They just built up a a chute to funnel the birds out of the fireplace and through the house's back doors. So it was like it was like a hamster tunnel situation. Exactly. But for the birds. It was a a series of tubes. Wow. Bird internet. Whoa. As Kenneth Parcell would say. Was this Al Gore's house? This also comes just a couple of weeks after another family in the L.A. area said that they came home from dinner to find a flock of hundreds of birds swarming around inside of their house. No. They didn't have the bird blocking grill. Mm, (laughs) And so (laughs) a video from the family shows uh, initially this flock of birds circling above the chimney and then swooping down inside of it. And then later, (laughs) there's a part of the video where it's just the outside of their window and all these birds are like up against the window looking out at them. (laughs) Oh, my God. The family said they lost count of the birds after 800, which I don't believe. I don't believe they even got close to 800. I'm sure there were more than that, but I just don't believe they counted them. Yeah, I mean, I can't count jelly beans in a jar and those are staying put. Like the Mm -hmm, idea that mm -hmm. I could like count a bunch of flying birds in a house is like, no, I'm not even going to guess how many there are. There could be five. There could be 5,000. It would all look the same. Yeah, basically any more than zero birds in my house is too many birds. (laughs) It really doesn't matter how many there are. If there's more than zero, we have a problem. The sheriff's station that they called put the family in contact with animal control who said simply to leave the door open. Okay. Really helpful. Has anybody dealt with a bird before? (laughs) Have Have you dealt with any flying creature? Because you can you can leave a window wide open. That motherfucker is not going anywhere. Uh uh-uh. uh. It will go everywhere but the open window. And finally, a four-year-old boy in Brooklyn. Hey, shout out. Hey. Went on his mom's Amazon account. I don't know if you know where this is going. And ordered nearly three thousand dollars worth of SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles. <laughs> Hero, 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 hero. Oh, just the dream. Absolute. Nobody is a bigger stan of SpongeBob than this boy, okay? Oh. You could never order $3,000 worth of popsicles on your mom's Amazon account. You wish you were as big of a SpongeBob fan as him. 
I love it because it's like, oh, what's that outside? The the sound of the ice cream truck? Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to walk out the door and go up to that ice cream truck and give him my money. No, 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 no. no. I've got all the SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles I need right here. He is the captain of the of the SpongeBob ship now. <laughs> so uh, the boy, a four year old boy named Noah, he's a SpongeBob diehard. He managed to spend two thousand six hundred and eighteen dollars uh, and eighty five cents for SpongeBob popsicles. Someone worked it out. It's fifty one cases. Containing 918 popsicles. That is almost as many birds that were stuck <laughs> in that chimney. Exactly. I Yeah, that, that would be a, basically a popsicle a day for like two and a half years if you really <laughs> wanted to go for it and not share, which obviously not. Also, like we live in Brooklyn. Like where... Yeah. Are they going to keep these popsicles? <laughs> well, that's the thing. So um, the bad news is that Amazon wouldn't refund the popsicles. Classic. And then the boy's mom, she's pursuing a master's degree in social work. So she's like, I have school loans. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. Also, not only do I have to like pay the Amazon bill, but I also have to pay to like keep them refrigerated somewhere. <laughs> That's not free. The cold is not free. The good news is that someone set up a GoFundMe and they already raised almost twice as much as he spent. So they're set. Good. The mom also said that he that she'll be using the surplus donations to go towards his education and additional support because he lives with autism spectrum disorder. So... Shout out to him. Yeah, <laughs> He absolute. really went for it. He had a dream and he said, you know, I'm not going to let something like money that I don't understand stop me from buying 918 SpongeBob popsicles. Yeah, I will say, unfortunately for his mom, um, he has not learned his lesson because really this only <laughs> yeah. worked out for him. Like really, really worked out better yeah, than he could really have ever expected. There was no expected. downside for him. No. There's no consequences here. None. It's like you make, you make a pretty catastrophic error and then you actually make your mom a significant amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to him. I think he really did a great job here. Anyway, that's it for this week's Worst Things First. Next, we're diving deep into the ding, ding of my phone. You like that sound effect work? <laughs> deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. There is rarely a time when my phone buzzes and it is followed by something good. Okay, so someone is asking for something. The news is bad. A kid got kidnapped. There's a killer on the loose. There's a flash flood. Something horrible is happening. And that's why my phone is going off. And I'm truly sick and tired of phone notifications. Okay, I feel like they should stop. Now, of course, one could argue then I might simply turn off these notifications. So true. Yeah, notifications, we know, were just created by tech geeks, horny tech geeks, who thought they were making something cool, but were actually making a, a tiny pocket slot machines designed to give us a burst of serotonin every time we hear the ding. Even if that ding is our mom telling us that someone else we barely knew from childhood just died. R.I.P. <laughs> And now there are these remorseful tech geeks who have made it their very mission to get us all to turn off our notifications because they understand that they've ruined us and turned our brains into little helpless shrimps just begging for another ding. But I am addicted to the ding. I need the ding. I hear the ding even when the ding is not there. The ding is in my dreams. So I'm not turning off the ding. And instead, I'm just going to complain about how it's ruining my life. Healthy relationships all around. <laughs> Do not disturb yeah, who? I see the red flag. I acknowledge the red flag. I let it rule me. Okay? It's firmly planted in my soil, the red flag. Okay. First of all... I don't like the sound of any phone alert, okay? I don't care if it's a ding, a bell, a whistle, the one that sounds like a dying bird, a vibrate. It accesses a part of my brain that is 
require to reply to a threat. That's what I perceive it as. Okay, it's the fight or flight. My brain hears a ding and the ancient caveman part of my brain hears a pack of saber-toothed tigers is about to eat you and your entire family. That's what my brain hears every time my phone goes off. <laughs> And I recoil. And that's exactly what you would have done as a caveman. Oh, yeah. I, there was absolutely no way I would survive as a caveman. I'm <laughs> not a hunter. I'm a gatherer at best. And you were definitely like drawing on the walls. Just like, look at this bear. <laughs> <laughs> Next. The worst alert is probably a news notification. A news alert. Mostly because they're too sad. Oh, always. Yeah. It's never good. Who wants that? Yeah. It's like a freaking newspaper being thrown at your face every couple of hours. It used to be a hundred years ago. You had to wait until the morning to find out that everything was terrible. You had to you had to buy a paint from, from a newsy boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Headlines don't sell papes, newsies sell papes. You yeah. know, that's what they said. And now instead they just throw it right in your phone. And like that's not as fun. It's not nearly as fun. Phones can't unionize. Back then, you you at least had like a hot teenage Christian <laughs> bale to, to give you the news. Now I just have to suffer through my phone. Basically, my crusade for more balanced news is for the New York Times. Every time they send an alert that someone terrible just did another terrible thing, they have to immediately send another alert telling me I'm hot. <laughs> That's how we balance this out. Let's see. What else? Other alerts. Once again, I must ask... What am I supposed to do with a flash flood warning? <laughs> Whenever that horrific noise pops up on my phone, I have absolutely no recourse. I have no plan of action in the event of a flood. All you've done is tell me I'm about to get extremely wet. That's what you're telling me. A tornado warning, I understand. Because yeah. it's like, okay, you have to get into a bathtub and cover it with a mattress and like, you know, pray. <laughs> Like, what do you expect me to do? Go get my canoe? I don't have one. Yeah, I'm not equipped in any way to deal with the flash flood. And you can't opt out, as far as I know. Next! Once again, I've, I will say, the CVS alerts letting me know my prescriptions are ready. Here's the thing about CVS alerts. Every time I get an alert from CVS that says my prescriptions are ready, great, fine. One alert, perfect. The problem is, if you don't pick it up, immediately they start getting so aggressive in their campaign to get you to come get your fucking meds. And at this point, CVS should know based on the fact that they are filling antidepressants <laughs> that the constant reminders are only going to push me further away from them. <laughs> you are scaring me, CVS. Next, bank alerts letting me know my card number has been stolen again, which at this point, pointless effort on their part. Don't even let me know. They might as well just shut down my account entirely. You know what the bank notification that I do want? What? I want a bank that notifies me if a generous male benefactor has chosen to make me his sugar baby. Ooh. That's the only bank notification that I wish to receive. You mm. should be able to opt into that. Next. Instagram notifications. Honestly, at this point, you should be able to filter Instagram notifications by individual person. Because Amen. let's face it, I'm basically always only looking to confirm that three or four very specific people liked my photo. Yes. That's all I want, Instagram. Tell me what my crush liked. I don't need all of this other nonsense. I'm just saying the point of a notification is to give me the information that I want that is going to lift my spirits, not bring me down. But that's not what Instagram is about, is it? Mm. Next, text messages. Basically, text message alerts, notifications, the dings should really be connected to some type of mood ring. Ooh. And you, it only comes in if I'm in the mood to receive it. You should absolutely sell that. TM. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're like right there in terms of this technology. Oh, if yeah. I have an Apple Watch, they can tell me my pulse and whether my heart is beating too fast. You know, if my pulse is above a certain amount, don't give me any information. Yeah. Because I don't want it and I can't handle it. Yeah. The difference in my attitude when I'm receiving a text, when I'm happy versus when I'm not in the mood, <laughs> far too big. I'll also say very apparent in your responses. 
That's the problem, though, is it's like we live in this world where it's like everybody knows your phone is in your hand at all times for the most part. And so it's like a lot of times it's like, okay, I know I need to respond to this, but who knows when I'll be in the mood to respond to it. Mm -hmm. So let me shoot off this one word response. (laughs) What else? I also hate the alerts that are like, how was your order from the big beefy taco emporium? And it's like, no, that's in the past. Why are you bringing this back up? We've moved on from this. There is a like audio visual tech type of store that really prides themselves on their customer service to the point where uh-huh. I got a phone call from the person. This like one person is assigned to your order. This was like a $20 purchase. And they called me like a week after I received it to be like, how was it? And I was like, "Who? what? We are not... In this relationship, no. keep it to yourself. I just never, I'm never interested in a follow-up. <laughs> Especially if it's about something positive. I will only let you, this is why I think that the fact that so many things, including podcasts, are review-based is insane. Because it's like, no one is reviewing something when they love it so much. You only are reviewing something when you are so, ang- it's the whole reason you wrote this deep dive. You were fueled by rage and you needed to get it all out there. Right. Like you're not doing that if you're super happy about something. So don't, don't check in. Leave me be. And finally, mother fucking email alerts. Ooh. We've trod on this before. I've covered it in the past, but I it, they continue to overwhelm me in every way, mostly because I will rarely, if ever, respond to an email on my phone. <laughs> because it's not 2004 and I'm not a businesswoman with a Blackberry just walking oh. around clicking and clacking on my phone. To be a businesswoman in 2004 with a Blackberry. I was, actually. <laughs> I did have a BlackBerry. My first job was way more of a business job than this one because I worked (laughs) as an accounting associate at my local (laughs) bank. (laughs) And uh, I had a BlackBerry and I would click clack on it. And that's not a life that I lead anymore. Mm, That is behind you. We're very forward thinking here with all of these notifications, you know? Exactly. You know who had a better grasp on notifications? 2004 Blackberries. (laughs) So maybe we should regress to that technology and stop fucking letting me know when everything happens because my brain cannot contain any more information. We've reached 100% capacity and unless I start emptying shit out, it's going to explode. And I don't want to be around when that happens. Nor do I. So everybody disable all of the notifications on your phone if you can, unless you're like me and you are hopelessly addicted to the ding. We'll get through this together. And that's it for this week's Deep Dive. Next, we got Rachel Handler on the pod right after this commercial break. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest Who Liberty stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. All right, my guest complainer today is a features writer for Vulture, New York Magazine, Rachel Handler. 
Rachel, welcome to Unhappy Hour. Thank you. I'm very, very honored to be here. I'm so excited. We'll jump right in with the question we ask everybody, which is what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? It's funny because when I was thinking about this question, I was like, wow, I'm I'm like a killjoy because I the, the main <laughs> thing is that I really don't like reality TV. Okay. Okay. And it's a I real mean, problem. This is a podcast for killjoys. So you're, <laughs> you're in the right place. <laughs> it's like, you know, the hard part about not liking reality TV is that it, it really is like a big topic of conversation, especially like mm-hmm. in my industry and at work and everyone loves it. And everyone's talking about the real housewives of the bachelor. And I just can't get on board. I, I, uh, I, any reality TV, even like the great British bake off wow. kind of makes I, the problem is that it makes me sad. Wait, specifically bake off or all reality shows? No, no. All reality shows. Like I can't get past the, the hump of like remembering the sort of devolution of society that got us there. <laughs> <laughs> it like, just throws you into an existential crisis. <laughs> honestly, honestly, it all started when uh, I used to watch Real Housewives of New Jersey. So like mm-hmm. a really long time ago and I was into it. And then when Melissa and her like sister-in-law started fighting uh-huh. and sort of their families weren't hanging out anymore, it really upset me. I was like, this is not right. This is like a, re- this is a television show. Like, why are they fighting about a television show? And so ever since then, I just have lost my ability to sort of like suspend disbelief and just engage with the surface level of the show. And I just get really, really depressed. Yeah, it has gotten to that point where it's like initially reality TV, like everybody could buy into the illusion that like this is real and there's not producers behind it. And now it's like that is just part of our understanding of reality shows is that there's someone behind the camera being like, do this. And it makes it that much more sad that they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. It's like these people are literally willing to, to completely create their own lives for some vague sense of people seeing them and knowing them. And it's it's like a very human desire, I think, to want to be seen and and want to be Mm -hmm. known but we've taken it to this horrible extreme. Right. And and I and we've sort of forgotten the whole point of the rest of the human experience in the process. And I, I this is what I think about when I'm watching <laughs> reality TV. I'm like, how did we get here? I start thinking about the dinosaurs. Like, you know, I just get I get really worked up. So I've just stopped watching it because it's just too damaging for me. Yeah. I do love though that based on that reasoning, that British Bake Off is still lumped in there. <laughs> I would say it's the least like I can watch it and not feel completely like pummeled. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it's still to me, I'm like, the you know, if there weren't reality television, like these people would just be happy in their like smaller, <laughs> you know, in their little bakery, yeah. just making cakes for right. people. I don't know. I it, it it sounds judgmental, and I suppose it is, but it's not. I'm not judging the people on the shows. I'm judging the culture that created the shows, which is I'm I'm complicit in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As are we all, really. Right, right. It reminds me of that. Uh, there's a, a joke in 30 Rock about Milf Island. I don't know if you're f- familiar with the. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and how uh, the leading contestant, Jack Donaghy, says before this, she was just a struggling actress living in LA. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> right. Every contestant. <laughs> Right. It's just I, I and then I start spiraling. I'm like, this planet, you know, had everything we could need. And we, we you know, we evolved here. And this is what we've chosen to do is like, you know, have. <laughs> there was some amazing tweet that was like, and now we have credit scores. And, you know, like, we've done this to ourselves. And the reality TV is a big part of that where I'm like, we are hell bent on our own destruction as a species. And this is a perfect example. There not there that one theory? This is me trying to talk about something that I read a Wikipedia page about like uh, five years ago. <laughs> but isn't there that theory that like the beginning of the end of any civilization is when celebrities become chefs? Oh, that's a brilliant theory that I completely agree with. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's like a well-documented, like someone actually made this argument more eloquently than I am right now, where it's like once a civil, like Rome, once they had chefs that were like yeah. known, that's when it was the beginning of the end. <laughs> that's <laughs> this brilliant. feels on, yes. on par with that. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like once everyone is, is a reality television star, and I don't mean that literally, like TikTok, YouTube, yeah. whatever. Once we are all celebrities, who's left to watch us? <laughs> yeah, I can't think too much about it. I'll die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so 
sorry that I've done this to you, but this is where my brain goes when I start watching like The Bachelor. What what is your like media diet? Do you have specific shows that you return to? Oh wow! I mean, I love the thing is I I do love TV and I love movies. Obviously, I write about them. My favorite show, two shows of all time, mm-hmm. are or actually I'm going to pick three. One is Twin Peaks. Uh huh. Like that to me is perfect television. One is The OA, which R.I.P. Right. Love that show. And then I also love this French show, The Returned, not the American version. And they're all kind of about similar things. They're like about like death. And, right. <laughs> I was going to say, there is a theme here. <laughs> and like weird, inexplainable mysteries. Uh-huh. And just sort of like the surreal, the absurd. So uh, the thing is, it's like I don't get depressed by depressing fiction. Right. At all. At all. Like I'm very like drawn to it and I and I love it and I feel like it like feeds me. Mm-hmm. But even happy reality television <laughs> depressing. <laughs> Right, because you see the the artifice of it. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> right, it is. We were we were talking before we recorded about how it is relatively early where you where you are on the West Coast. So, you know, it's early for this kind of depressing existentialism, but that's fine. That's Not what, for it's me. on happy hour. <laughs> <Not for me. laughs> you wake up ready, ready oh. to give this energy to the world. Oh, I think my boyfriend would tell you that I do. <laughs> like, let's talk. <laughs> Okay, so reality TV was one of your items. I know there were others. Yes. The other one is games. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Just all games. (laughs) I just like sound like the least fun person ever. Okay, not all games. So like (laughs) hashtag not all games. Uh Uh-huh. I like games where um like a taboo or a celebrity where it's like you're interacting with people and you're kind of like acting a Uh little bit and like laughing a lot, and there's just like kind of loose. Right. I do not like board games. I do not like card games. I don't like like a nice little softball game with your friends. Not into uh-huh. that. Like uh-huh. anything where there's like rules and people are taking it very seriously. I can't in the same way that I can't watch reality TV without thinking about the artifice. I in my real <laughs> life I only want like I only want reality. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like it's kind of the same idea. I'm like, why are we playing this game? There's no point. Let's just like talk. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't matter. I don't have a competitive instinct. That might be part of it. Yeah, that is probably a part of it. Right? Like people are like, oh, I must win. And I'm like, well, and then what? You know? Like, yeah. Then what? That always is a red flag for me. I, I don't, like one of the questions on Hinge is what are you competitive about? Oh. And whenever someone is like board games or, or something like that, I'm like, I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> that is what I, that's just like code for you're going to be mean to me. Right. Well, actually that's funny. Cause I'm dating someone who likes games and uh-huh. he does get competitive in games. And I find it so weird. I've had to be like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, so do you he, have to like begrudgingly play with him? Or no, I don't. I literally just don't. Sit he it just out. Like, finds other people to play. <laughs> I'm like, fair. I'm not, I'm not playing this with you. And he knows that like, you know, he draws the line. He's like, all right, I'm going to go, you know, this doesn't happen often, but uh-huh. like, people are trying to play monopoly or whatever. I'm right. going to go do that. And I'm like, you have fun. <laughs> I do know you had, a, you had a couple of other entries that I don't know if you don't want to talk about or. or <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Well, the other one was Lord of the Rings, right? Right, right. Okay. Lord of the Rings. Yes. I, my problem with Lord of the Rings is I've never been able to get past. I don't. Okay. The backstory quickly is that I have extreme insomnia. I never fall asleep by accident. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to get through the first hour of Lord of the Rings without falling asleep. I've tried like four times. I just can't get past it. So I've just, I, I give up on Lord of the Rings culture. Also, when I was a child, I cried from boredom twice. Once was <laughs> at a. At a Cubs game. Uh-huh. <laughs> and once was re- trying to read The Hobbit. <laughs> okay, okay. They had such a lasting traumatic impact on yeah. you. <laughs> I was like, this is the most bored I've ever been. And I remember going into my mom's room and or my parents' room and being like, Dad, do I have to read The Hobbit? I'm so bored. I hate it. And he was like, Rachel, you literally, no one's making you read this. Right. Like, you put it down. <laughs> It wasn't for school. I was just like, I got to read The Hobbit. Right, right. They really went hard on reading in in school, just like recreational reading. It's really upsetting. (laughs) You just expected to read. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I read a ton as a kid, actually, for fun, but I was reading like Sweet Valley High. Uh So then uh when I was trying to read The Hobbit, I was like, this is not like in the paradigm of fiction that I'm interested in at all. Right. I mean, I am a fan of Lord of the Rings, so it does hurt. 
And I know I'm so sorry. Barry, who is in the Zoom room, is is shaking. <laughs> well, tell we, me what you like about it. I see when I was a kid, I always loved this this makes me sound like I was a dick as a child and it is because I was a dick so that's why it sounds that way but I like prided myself on being the like smart kid and I liked the heft of a Lord of the Rings book mm. like I liked I know I could I could sense the judgment but I <laughs> I liked being able to be like yeah I read this book and look how like big it is Right. No, I totally understand that. I yeah. was kind of a dick too. I was like a snobby, like intellectual child. Right. Because I had no friends. So, like <laughs> all I had was like my sweet, but I wasn't because I was reading Sweet Valley High. But like, I, that's probably why I was trying to read The Hobbit because yeah. I was like, I need to look smart. Right. And I wasn't. Right. And so I had to stop reading. <laughs> but even, I mean, it took me several, several attempts to get through Lord of the Rings, mostly because he just spent so much time writing about like, a tree that I don't <laughs> care about. <laughs> like, I guess, yeah, he really cared about nature a lot. And maybe, maybe that's a good lesson. But I was just like, yeah, I don't, I get it. I get it. Trees are good. So that is, well, that is actually, fair. I like that. I really like what I, if the message of Lord of the Rings is that trees are good. Like that. I really vibe. <laughs> I really vibe with that. I love trees. <laughs> I was that, that is a pretty big message. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Maybe I'll try it again. Yeah. The thing is, I do like fantasy. Like, I love the Golden Compass novels. Those mm-hmm. are my some of my favorite books of all time. But for some reason, Lord of the Rings is just very like alienating to me as a reader. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm even reading about. Like, right. I don't know who these people are. I don't know what's going on. Like, they all sound the same. I, I just felt very uh, right. I feel like it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. I, w- one of the things that I don't like about it, there is. I have been uh, I have the audiobook version, too, that I will sometimes use specifically to fall asleep. Oh, okay. So that is, you know, it's definitely if it helps you fall asleep, then it's there is there is some credit there. Maybe I'm looking at it all wrong. Maybe I <laughs> yeah. should appreciate it for its boringness. Yeah. I know you're from outside of Chicago, right? I'm from Highland Park, Illinois, which is, yeah, like 30 minutes north of Chicago. Okay, okay. I grew up in the southwest suburbs. So Which suburb? The town I grew up in is Elsip. Um, Elsip? Oh. Yeah, nobody knows what Elsip is. Um, I thought you were going to say like Elgin. It sounds like <laughs> someone like in the middle of saying Elgin got confused. I've never heard probably how they came up with it, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah, I'm I'm reading uh, one of one of your complaints uh, about the Midwest is uh, one tweet was cause of death. People talked about the Cubs a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like I don't even remember tweeting this. Was this like 20? This was like 2016. So we we really went deep here. Wow. Oh, my God. I need to delete some tweets. Um, Yeah, I'm sure people were talking about the Cubs and I got really bored because remember, if you if you'll recall, throwback to earlier in the podcast and I said the Cubs made me cry from boredom. Yeah. Um, I think that's just another, I probably was triggered by that conversation. Right. Memory of my childhood pain at the Cubs game. Full disclosure. We, we usually have a segment at the end called elaborate where I'll, I, I have you kind of elaborate on tweets where you've said that you've hated things. Oh, I'm Um, sure there's tons. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've basically been sprinkling them in as we've hit on some of the subjects, but yeah, I I do know you have a lot of tweets about really hating sports and (laughs) I I think we got to the bottom of it. (laughs) I think we did. I actually, it's funny because I was trying to think of things I hated for the podcast and my boyfriend said sports and I was like, that's too easy. Right. Like, there's so many people who hate sports. It's not interesting. Right. You know, right. I, I, and I wouldn't even say I hate sports, but I would just say that I, I really don't like when there's like a get similar to what I said about games when there's like a social event around a sport mm-hmm. that that is more frustrating to me when, when like everyone's sitting watching it, watching a football game or something. Right. Right. A Super Bowl party sounds like <sighs> your worst nightmare. Yeah, I did write a great country song once at a Super Bowl party <laughs> that I plan to release uh, sometime in the next one to 20 years. I mean, now or never, really. I, yeah. If you're going to do it, now is the time <laughs> to bust out that guitar. <laughs> Let's talk about Bucatini. I'm sure you're sick of Bucatini talk. Never, but <laughs> never. I can uh, talk about it forever. Famously, you wrote a groundbreaking investigation on the shortage of this very special noodle. Yes. Which I'll be honest, I'd never heard of Bucatini. Turns out the the place that sells it, or at least a great version of it, had an FDA complaint against them. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it, it became even more scarce as they were dealing with this issue, but they don't know who like tipped off the FDA. Yes, that somebody, the, some competitor tipped off the FDA, but we'll never find out who, unfortunately. I guess, you know, the only real question is, have, have you gotten Bucatini since this happened? Yes, I will. So right before I published the story, I found like a 20 pack on Amazon and I like that was upcharged and I was like, fuck it. I'm just doing it. <laughs> so I, I've been working my way through that for a while. And also I got a lot of offers to send me Bucatini from other brands when I published a story. And most of them, I was like, I would rather you donate it to like a food bank or something. Uh-huh. I, you know, I don't need more Bucatini in my home, but a couple of them I said yes to. So I'm, I'm pretty stocked up for like probably the rest of the year. Right. <laughs> <Not beyond> that. <laughs> Good, good. <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay, but you know, it was about the the general injustice, and I actually don't know yet if the FDA has taken uh, the hold off of DeCheco. And it's funny because they did finally respond to my FOIA, uh-huh. uh huh, like Freedom of Information Act uh, right. request, and um, and they sent me like 200 pages of stuff, but none of it was implicating of whoever. <laughs> It was all just like chemical equations and like filling out sheets about why they got the pasta and the amount of iron. It was just very like, you know, right. Pointless. I was like, I was like, it. Who turned them in? Are you going to tell me or not? And the guy was like, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, like this. Well, yeah. Yeah. And it's so straight because the, the complaint is that like there literally was like two milligrams less of iron <laughs> in yes, this noodle. That's literally what the issue. And they were like, OK, time to take it all off the shelves. Yeah. It's so uh, the fact that they had to like destroy it all. It was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. We didn't even talk about that enough in our inter- in our interview with DeCheco because I couldn't even imagine like I didn't want to know. I was like, <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I truly wish you had just given tragic. me this pasta. <laughs> yeah, like, I wish you had known about me. I would have taken all of it. But also the fact that there are literally standards for how much iron needs to be in a pasta noodle is insane to begin with. So, well, like everything, it all goes back to like systemic American racism. So (laughs) read the, read the piece for more. (laughs) Right. Right. I did have the like sense. I don't know if you, you feel this when you're reporting a piece because you do cover a lot of like pop culture stuff and like fun, mm-hmm. lighthearted stuff. And like ostensibly this Bucatini like investigation started as like a, a lighthearted thing. But it was almost as if their responses were like, oh, she's like, a, oh, she's coming for us. I still live in low key fear that like the Italians are going <laughs> to come for me. Like it, like the whoever tipped off the FDA, you uh-huh. know, like. I, I'm concerned, like, and I know, I, I think it's probably one of the big, like, Italian pasta companies, you know, don't right. come for me, I'm not going to find you, uh, I've tried, it's not going to happen, but yeah, I do, there is a general, like, I definitely pissed some people off along the way, including DiCecco, they were like, at first we were very mad. Right. Uh, <laughs> that was my favorite quote, was when he said, and then we saw you uh, tweet about how much you love it, and we knew you were a fan. <laughs> They were mad at me until they realized that my love was, that it was coming from a place of love. Right, right. And not like trying to expose anyone. Um, Yeah. Although I, but just, I was trying to expose someone, just not them. Right. But yeah, they ignored me for months. And then finally, when we talked, they were very like, they seemed very suspicious of me still. (laughs) They were just kind of like, who is this bitch? Like, why is she ruining our lives? Why has she done this? You know, even my parents, when I first started writing the story, were like, they were like, Rachel you're going to like get innocent people in trouble. And I was like, what? I was like, what, what would you say that to Bob Woodward? Like, (laughs) (laughs) like this is my job. Right. Right. I know, know. (laughs) which is not, it's literally not my job to do that. But (laughs) I think about that. So, because like I went to journalism school, obviously I do not do journalism now. Um, but I like one of the reasons that I don't think I was ever really cut out for it is I just I I feel too guilty about anything and like yeah. affecting anybody else. I'm just like, no, no, I can't. I can't have that on my on my conscience. I totally get that. And I did think I was really careful with this piece not to like punch down at anybody and mm-hmm. to sort of make the story about the system from which the weirdness was born and not like take anyone down. Like, I don't think right, anyone right. was in trouble. Um, but yeah, I did. I always think about that. I'm like, I really don't want to like screw anyone over unless it's like someone I really want to screw over. Right. Like, right. To be screwed over. 
but that's rarely my beat. So I'm not really like a deep investigative reporter. Right. This right. Is, this is a lark. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm like, yeah, I feel like my impulse would be when I'm emailing like the national pasta association <laughs> is to be like, yeah. Hey, you guys, no pressure. <laughs> I'm coming at you as a friend. <laughs> But so please, no, pressure. <laughs> no worries at all. If right, you're busy. Right. <laughs> I know I totally sound like I'm asking too many questions, but if you wouldn't mind, my other favorites of, of your pieces is about a very important three minute scene in High School Musical 2. <gasps> yes. Um, which I actually just watched for the first time last night. Oh, my God. What, what did you think? So I've been on a high school musical journey. I'd never seen them when I was younger. I think it was just after it was like right after my time. I don't mm. think I was in that group. And I was like a closeted child who I was like, <laughs> uh, this is too, <laughs> this will drag me out too quickly. <laughs> you can't watch Zac Efron prance through a golf course without exposing yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it is. The number of people who said you need to start when I said I'm going to watch these for the first time and they said you have to start with the second one. Don't even bother Whoa. with the first. I've never heard that. Because the second apparently is so much better. And now having watched both, I don't know what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> I fully disagree. I think I think they both have their extremely and like they both have merits. Mm -hmm, They're very mm -hmm. different films. Yes. But they both are. I think it's really important to start at the beginning to see the evolution of the Wildcats and like yeah. to watch Gabrielle and Troy develop their love and then, you know, struggle with it in, in, in movie two. Right. Important. The stakes are already on the ground. Uh, <laughs> so any help that they can get by watching the first film, <laughs> they, it needs it. I I was kind of genuinely baffled at whether the joke was that the songs were horrible or yeah. if they were intended to be good songs to an audience that would think that they were good songs. It's sort of like, you know how people say, like, you can go through life as if everything is a miracle or as if nothing is a miracle. You know that saying? <laughs> Sure, sure. That's how I feel about these movies. It's like you can watch them as they were made, which mm -hmm. was like a straight faced, I think, non campy. Right. Like they were like movies for children. Right. Made with zero cynicism, which <laughs> exactly. is which is how which is how I like to watch them. Uh -huh. Or you could be like, oh, this is like so hilariously bad which they are. And I also enjoy watching them that way. It's just, they're multifaceted. You, you can watch them hundreds of times and never fully understand what's going on. Yeah, that is true. I, I think I certainly approached it with a, a great deal of uh, cynicism <laughs> um, and also a great deal of marijuana. Oh, so, that was what I was going to say. You should be on drugs too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. was, I, I, I definitely was. And I don't think I really picked up on any plot. I like got the kind of general contours of it. And I think that's why the scene in which Troy dancing on uh, this golf course does speak to you because you really, you really don't have to understand what's happening to get it. <laughs> right. It's so powerful. <laughs> it's like, yeah, as it's, its, rich, own... it's a rich text. It is like, I still haven't gotten to the bottom of what's going on in that, in that song. And I wrote like 2000 words on it. Yeah. You know? I do love that. Like seemingly one of your theories is that Zac Efron was getting back at the director for having <laughs> him dubbed over in the first movie. Yes, I know that I could have written a whole essay just on that. Like that's fascinating to me. He was like, I fought to have my voice in this movie. And like, you can feel the fury in his, like his jazz hands. It's uh -huh. really yeah, it is. It is defiant and 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 beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's it requires so much commitment from him. That whole number. It's like you ha he had to just take out his brain and put it on the golf course and just dance. You know, like I don't I don't know how I don't know if any other actor on earth could do what he did in that scene. No, it did remind me of Jamie Dornan's song in Barb and Star. <gasps> yes. But obviously that that was sort of like a parody of what what Zac Efron was very earnestly doing. You just blew my mind. I, <laughs> you're so right that you're I would be stunned if there weren't a direct reference to High School Musical 2 baked into that Barb and Star number. Yeah, there probably is. Uh, to be fair, this was also Barry's observation before me, and she really saw this connection. I'm I am speechless. I think that's 
Exactly right. That being said, I the Jamie Dornan song will stay with me far longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't um, say that I agree because I've been thinking about this number for so. <laughs> right, right. We'll end on one other hate tweet, which okay. was from the beginning of the pandemic in which it was basically like one of the silver linings here of the beginning of the pandemic was that you hate haircuts and now you have a reason <laughs> not to get one. <laughs> okay, but you can tell. Look, I haven't gotten a haircut. Look at this hair. I mean, it's it looks so gorgeous. Long. It's long. Oh, okay. It's flowing. I hate haircuts. I Every time I get a haircut, I cry. Um, so and it actually, is. It is the like act of having shorter hair after you've had. It's not like the physical thing of. No, I love getting my hair done. I love uh-huh. like getting my hair washed. I love the experience. I love my hairdresser. Like we have a nice time. Mm-hmm. But then I go home and I'm like, I just cry. I'm like, I look like a boy. Even if they cut off one inch, I'm like, I'm a boy. I'm a, I'm a boy. <laughs> the last haircut. You'll actually appreciate this. The last haircut I got ever was December of 2019. Uh-huh. And I came home and cried as I, as I always do. And my boyfriend just let me cry. He's like, okay, well, I'll see you in a few hours. And just like, let me and you know, cry in the bed for a while. And I was sobbing and just like <laughs> crying about my hair. And then someone texted me, check your Instagram. And I went on my Instagram and that was the day that Ariana Grande Instagrammed at me. And so my whole mood just instantly, I stopped crying. I forgot about my hair. I never thought about my hair again. Like I was jumping on my bed. It, it, it was like a real 180 within the span of like 10 seconds. That's beautiful. The only thing that could have saved me. Right. Like what a, what a miracle really. It was a Ariana Grande pulled me out of my haircut depression that usually lasts three hours. <laughs> yeah, things could have ended so differently. And <laughs> there she was. <laughs> she, she, she'll never know what she did for me, but I hope to tell her someday. Well, I'm truly, you know, praying for you the next time you have to get a haircut. <laughs> if if that moment ever comes, if you choose Maybe to. Maybe I'll just <laughs> do this for the rest of my life. Who's to say? I think it looks great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much. Well, on that note, where can people find you and your work? You can find me at on Twitter at Rachel underscore Handler. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, I'm Rachelyha, R-A-C-H-L-Y-H-A, because that was like the, the auto-generated email that my college gave me, and I just thought it was really <laughs> funny. And then you can find me at vulture.com, newyorkmag.com, or nymag.com, and that's really it. Never, You'll never find me in a hair salon. <laughs> Right. Do not look. <laughs> not look in a hair salon at a Cubs game or watching reality <laughs> or, television or, or playing a game. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you so much. Thank you. This is really really fun. We're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first, our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that help all the bad shit go down easier, starting with Do Better White People, where we highlight some anti-racism resources and other actions to make our world a little bit better. This week, of course, we're in the middle of May. It's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Uh, So I wanted to highlight a group called RUN, you can follow them at Run AAPI on Instagram. They started as this campaign to get out the Asian American Pacific Islander vote in the election and to encourage the participation of the AAPI community just in politics in general. And now they're doing some great programming for uh, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month on Instagram. They're sharing a bunch of resources, doing Instagram lives, all towards demanding justice and visibility for the AAPI community and uh, for everybody. So right now they're promoting this pledge that's great. You can uh, go sign it. It is the AAPI Visibility Pledge. And they're asking that you pledge to use your platforms and your voice to lift up and celebrate and defend the AAPI community and also all communities, including those fighting against anti-blackness. So you can go and sign that. We'll include a, a link in our show notes. It's a simple thing to do, but of course, follow through on the pledge and actually do what you're pledging to do. But also follow Run AAPI on Insta. Next, let's get into the TV we're watching this week. Barry, what you been watching? I am continuing to watch Mayor of Easttown on HBO, HBO Max. And I started watching Rutherford Falls, which is Uh on Peacock. And it is really sweet. It's just like if you want to watch something that is like sweet and also 
fun. And it stars Janice Schmeeding. It's all about this small town who has like a very, very strong roots to their history, um, which is Ed Helms characters, like a Rutherford, which is this like, you know, Vanderbilt type of family. And then also the neighboring indigenous community, which is a fictional Minishanka tribe is what they're named. Um, and Jana is in the tribe. And she also is best friends with Ed Helms character. And like she is amazing and spoiler alert we're gonna have her on the pod and i'm very excited about it because yeah it's just like a really sweet fun show to watch that i think is probably just gonna like keep getting better and also dustin aka ted Mm -hmm. from schitt's creek is in it so um yeah that is what i'm watching this week what about you i've watched absolutely nothing new so (laughs) (laughs) i honestly (laughs) don't even know what i did in the last week (laughs) i mean i did say last week that my other chaser was that i've been reading more so i do think that i've like during the day if i'm putting something on tv it's usually like the office and then later on if i'm sitting down to read i'm reading i will say I'm, I started reading The Magicians, which is a sci-fi network show, but I'm going to try finishing it first before I watch it. Fun. Cool. It's very like Harry Potter meets Chronicles of Narnia, uh-huh. like that world. It's very clearly inspired by them. I love it. It is very uh, like much more if the characters of Harry Potter were older and crazier and had like more actual real life problems right, right, right. and not just you know, being chased by a crazy serial killer, which is the plot of Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I will be watching that show when I finish the books. What's your non-TV chaser? My non-TV chaser is Ariana Grande's album Positions. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. the reason I'm so late on this is because I listened to it when it first came out and I was like, she's too happy for me right now. Like I truly, I cannot listen to this because I am too depressed, but shout out to Cymbalta and therapy and psychiatry. I am in a place now where I can absolutely be listening to positions nonstop. There definitely are some skippable songs on there, but the ones that are good, Ooh, they hit so good. And (laughs) it's, I'd say like that combined with the amount of time we've been spending in in the parks and I do mean mm-hmm. you and me when I say we we've been having some park hangs lately and it's just been a joy so I'd say that album and hanging out in the park have really been my chasers for the past week what about you yeah I will say it's interesting that your approach is I'm depressed and I can't listen to happy songs <laughs> it's it depends it depends I feel like when I'm depressed, I'm like, okay, if I if I hear a single syllable of an Adele song, I will break down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can only listen to happy songs and try to like will myself out of it. But it, it depends. Like I mean, I was definitely the type of depressed where it wasn't that I was like crying all the time. It was like angst, you know, it was like fuck everything. I don't want to listen to someone singing about how she's like 69ing every day of the year. I want to listen right. to Phoebe Bridgers talking about how she's 69ing everybody every day. Yeah, but like because she's angry, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the difference that like I really I really held on to. Right, right. Music that makes me want to scream, not music that makes me want to shake my damn ass. Right. But now we're in ass-shaking moods. Oh, absolutely. The seasons have turned and it is the season of shaking my ass. Yeah. In a park, preferably. Realistically, preferably in my living room because I don't I don't want people to see that. I am definitely in that mood, um, both the ass shaking mood. And yeah, I mean, my chaser was going to be just like spending more time outside um, once my allergies calm down. And also that I'm going to try to make a concerted effort to keep plants alive. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, you and I went to a nursery and picked up a couple of beautiful plant babies. Mm-hmm. And I am going to try my best. And I did I did also say, I mean, I love the uh, positivity and the optimism of people who are like, these are impossible to kill. <laughs> and you yourself can attest to the fact that I have personally murdered at least three snake plants <laughs> that are quote unquote unkillable. Um, yeah. Any plant that's like, you just completely ignore it and it will thrive. And it's like, okay, well, tell that to the corpses of all of the plants <laughs> that I have killed already. Because guess what? I left them alone for too long. (laughs) 
but I'm very committed to growing my, my literally pun, <laughs> my repertoire of indoor plants. And we'll see. Beautiful. And eventually I'm convinced that I'll bring in some type of deadly bug in one mm-hmm. of them and it'll kill me in my sleep, but that's fine. You will die happy. Because I'll be surrounded by plants. That's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to Unhappy Hour. If you want more Unhappy Hour shit, and you know you do, head straight to my Patreon page where you'll get video of bonus Worst Things First stories that we cut from this week's episode, video of extended guest complainer interviews, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. You can also buy merch at unhappyhourshop.com. And obviously, as always, head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get podcasts, and hit that subscribe button. Rate us, review us, but only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your shit. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, and me, Matt Belisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Hansel Sue. You can bother Barry at Finkelberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Belisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. You can leave us a voicemail on our rant hotline at 601-600-RANT. That's 601-600-7268. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Uh, Bye-bye. I was trying to think of an Ariana Grande song and my mind immediately went blank. But I think I got close to one. (laughs) 